0: Not for a believer, because a believer, when he dies, he goes to be with the Lord. His soul, his spirit goes to be with Christ, Paul said, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And then later on, you get a new resurrected, glorified body. So it's a wonderful prospect. The pain of death may be difficult, but after that, it's graduation day.
1: I heard about a funeral once for an elderly Christian woman who loved to cook and have big family gatherings. One visitor at the viewing asked a family member why the deceased was holding a fork. The family member explained that the woman always told her guests as she removed the dinner plates to make room for dessert, hold on to your forks, the best is yet to come. As much as we may look forward to dessert, it does not compare to what's coming for Christians once we get rid of these sin-cursed bodies. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse, a Bible class of the year taught by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today we have come to the final part of Pastor Steve's concluding sermon in this series about the fall of man, as told in Genesis chapter 3. In verse 20, it says that Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. This was directly after God had sentenced Adam, and all of us actually, to a life of hard labor that would culminate in death. That might seem odd for Adam to say that, but let's listen as Pastor Steve explains why it makes perfect sense for Adam to say that at this point.
0: The name Eve simply means living. It means living. It's not evening, it's living. And verse 20 says that Adam named her living. He named her Eve because she was the mother of all the living. He named her living because from her all the living would would come, and that's true of us. We all come from Adam and Eve. Now, here's the deal. Here's where it comes together. God has, in context, historically, just told Adam that he's going to die. Not a pretty picture. Life is hard, and then you're going to die. Came from the soil, you're going to return to the soil. But just prior to this, in verse 15, what we call verse 15, we read this. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, that is to Satan, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. And right after that, God says, you're gonna die, Adam. Now, what is this? In other words, Eve is going to give birth to one who in some way would be the future deliverer, the future savior, who would save them from sin. Now, I don't think they understood all that. In fact, I know they didn't understand all that we understand about this, that that savior would be Jesus Christ. He would go to the cross. He would die for all of our sins. And in that way, Satan would be defeated. His power would be gone, as I told you last week. He's basically been, uh, his power's been taken away from him. He cannot uh, send anybody to hell for sin because sin can be forgiven because of the death of Christ. He basically is awaiting execution. Now, he gives us a lot of trouble. He tempts us, but he doesn't have power over us. The fear of death is gone for a believer. So, in verse 15, God spoke of Eve's children. Even though he had just told Adam, he's he's told Adam, you're going to die, he said... Eve's going to have children, and one specific child would crush the devil's head and defeat him and death. And you know what? Adam believed God. That's the hope. Adam took God at his word, even though he'd just been told he's going to die. He knows he's not going to die until Eve has children. She's going to have children. And one of those children is going to be the Savior, the Deliverer. Adam believed God's word about the future Deliverer who would defeat Satan and would take the sting out of death. Even before Eve became pregnant, Adam exercised faith in God by naming her Eve, the mother of all. That was the demonstration of his faith. Adam was a believer. I am fully convinced that we'll see Adam in heaven. In fact, not only Adam, it wasn't only Adam who believed, it was Eve as well. Notice chapter four, verse one. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain, and she said, I have gotten a man child with the help of the Lord. Literally, it's this. I have brought forth a man, the Lord. She thought Cain, was the deliverer. Now, she was wrong. He wasn't the deliverer. He turned out to be the first murderer. But at least she was anticipating that one of her offspring would be the one who the Lord would send. She had faith just like Adam. So verse 20 is really about Adam's faith and hope. Even as he's been sentenced to death, he faces a life of blood, sweat, and tears, and then you're going to die. He believed God. And you know what? This is what gives hope to us. Thousands of years later, we still have hope in our lives, even though life is still difficult. Life is still hard. We face pain. We face troubles. Dave sang before about God's faithfulness, but we only know of his faithfulness because life is tough. When we need him, he encourages us, but life is hard. This is what lifts a Christian's life above the futility of decay that's all around us. It's our faith, our hope in the Lord. If you don't have that, then you are missing so much. You are missing. In fact, many times when I, tr- when I try to bring comfort to a family that's lost a loved one or at a funeral, they'll say to me, I don't know how the unsaved get through this. I don't either. I don't either. They somehow do, but they do it in such a depressed, bleak manner. But Christians don't have that. We don't have to have that. We believe. We look back at the, at the Messiah who's come and we believe that he's already come, that he has saved us, that this deliverer has delivered us from the penalty of sin, and he is delivering us from the power of sin, and we look for him to come again at any time to deliver us from the very presence of sin. He's going to save us physically from the sin-cursed world and, and these bodies that are fallen and are decaying. In fact, the Apostle Paul said, our inner man is being renewed, but the outer man is decaying day by day day by day. Let's look at, uh, and hold your place in Genesis 3, but if you look at Romans chapter 8, Paul makes this very, very clear. This is the world we live in, but there is great hope for us. Great hope for us, and you need to live above the circumstances in the sense of not letting them get you down, and not living in a fool's paradise like, like imagining that there are no problems. There are problems, but this is how we face them with great hope and confidence. Romans chapter 8 verse 18. Paul writes, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed to us. Isn't that you know, we ought to meditate on that. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to even be compared to what we're going to experience in glory. What a tremendous truth. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. That is to say that creation which was cursed because of man continues to be cursed, but they are longing for the curse to be lifted, and that will be lifted when Jesus returns. And uh, uh, the revealing of the sons of God, That I take it that that means us, we're coming back with him, we're going to be changed, and so forth. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it in hope. And that's the key, in hope. It is a cursed world that we live in, but it's in hope. What is the hope? that the creation itself will also be set free from the slavery to corruption and to the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know, and we know this by faith, that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. You may think that creation is beautiful and the world we live in has such, such beauty. Such beauty at times. However, it, it's nothing compared to what it was and what it will be like. And not only this, Paul writes in verse 23, but also... We ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. What does he mean by that? God has given you the down payment of the Holy Spirit, a touch of hope, a touch of encouragement, a touch of strength by the Spirit of God who indwells us, which is the promise of better things to come. And they will, they will come. Just look at this, verse 24. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for what What's he saying? He's saying that life is hard, and we suffer now, but that's not it for us. We don't just work hard and uh, toil, and then everything decays, and then we die. For a believer, we have great hope that we will someday, uh, when we die, either, either uh, when we're raptured or when death takes us, we're going to be with the Lord, uh, with him in, in his presence, and then we are, at, the, at least at the rapture, the resurrection, we will experience a resurrected body. So we are waiting for ultimate deliverance, but with perseverance, we press on because we know life is more than death and decay. And I think that's a great encouragement to us, great encouragement to us. If life to you is one big drag, one big hassle, it's really because you don't know Jesus Christ. Now, you ought not to come to know Christ or pray to receive Christ just because you want life to be fun, because it doesn't necessarily fun, but you ought to pray to receive Christ because you want to be forgiven of your sins and and you want to escape hell. You want to go to heaven. However, before you go to heaven, Jesus will give you great hope and encouragement in a world that, that has no hope and very little encouragement. So the first way that God dealt with Adam was he sentenced him to hard labor and then death. There's a second way he dealt with Adam in relation to his sin, and that is the forgiveness. He forgave Adam. Not only did he punish him and sentence him, but he forgave him. Look at verse 21. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife Eve and clothed them. Actually, just says his wife, and clothed them. In response to Adam believing God's word about a coming deliverer, a savior, God now kills two innocent animals. I don't know what kind, perhaps sheep. And he puts clothes on Adam. And he, remember, after they sinned, they realized they were naked and they uh, their their dignity was stripped from them and they knew shame. And then they covered themselves with very inadequate uh, fig leaves. Not because the fig leaves couldn't cover them, but because God said they were inadequate. They were not right to cover. They should have been covered, but not with that. That's man-made stuff. Now, it would appear that God was instructing Adam here on the concept of forgiveness based on a blood sacrifice. It would appear that way. The concept later is expanded to the Israelites to say that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. But this appears to be the first demonstration of that. Adam and Eve must have either at this point or shortly after that understood this this principle of a blood sacrifice necessary, death necessary for forgiveness because later on they taught their children. They taught their children. Remember Cain and and Abel brought sacrifices to the Lord. Cain brought an inadequate sacrifice. He brought of his own uh, good works. But Abel brought a blood sacrifice. Now I do think there's more to it than just a blood sacrifice. I think that Abel had faith and Cain did not. We'll we'll look at that some other time. But imagine this. Adam and Eve must have stood there aghast. Just absolutely aghast as God took two innocent creatures taken in their place and slaughtered them probably before their own eyes imagine that they had never seen death before and here it happens just two innocent a- animals i don't know how he did it but he killed them cut their their uh, coat gave them a coat from their skins and this was the penalty for sin this was the way of forgiveness god responded to adam's faith by forgiving him the same thing he does to us but there's more here than this. It, it isn't just that they were forgiven. I think this is an illustration of the absolute coming forgiveness of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ died on the cross to forgive us our sins. That God, in, in place of us, God placed his son and punished him for our sin. He was experiencing hell. It wasn't just the physical agony on the cross, though that was horrible. It was that while on the cross for those few hours, God the Father turned his back on his son. God the Father withdrew his fellowship from Jesus Christ so that in essence he really did experience hell. He was punished for us. The wrath of God was upon him. The judgment of God for all of of, of our sins were laid upon Jesus Christ and it, it was necessary for a blood sacrifice. You see, God cannot just forgive sins because you just want him to forgive you. Well, just forgive me. There has to be death. There, there is a principle, an unchanging principle, that if there's sin, there must be punishments. And punishment, God is only satisfied, his holiness is only satisfied by the punishment of life. Death is what's necessary. See, forgiveness has to come at the high price of blood being shed. Death is that punishment. And Christ died to forgive you of all of your sins. Adam just kind of illustrated this. You have to believe. Adam believed and God responded with forgiveness. You believe in Jesus Christ. You put your trust in Christ as the only way to heaven. You call upon him to save you, and the Bible says you'll be forgiven. So, how did God deal with Adam's sin? First, he sentenced him to hard labor and then death. Secondly, he forgave Adam because Adam, in spite of his sentence, believed God's word about a savior. And the third way that God dealt with Adam in relation to his sin is he expelled Adam expulsion of Adam from the garden. He exiled Adam and Eve. Notice verses 22 through 24. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now, lest he stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim, and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Now these verses are very sad. They're very sad because they tell the very tragic story of Adam and Eve being expelled from the Garden of Eden. Why? Because as the Trinity, the triune God, counseled and reasoned amongst themselves, they concluded that Adam had become like one of them. That's what it says. That's what it means in verse uh, 22. Behold, the man has become like one of us. He's talking about the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Holy Spirit having a council together. And they concluded that Adam had become like one of them. Now he knew good and evil. Now we need to explain this, and I've said this before, but let me clarify it. They're not like God. Not like God totally. They'll never be like God. But they are in one sense like God in that they know good and evil. But there's still a difference. God is holy, and cannot sin. God knows good and and evil because he is all-knowing. He is what we call omniscient. He's never experienced evil. He's never done evil. He's not capable of doing evil. That's not the way it is with, with Adam and Eve and certainly not the way it is with us. Adam and Eve knew evil experientially because they were now sinners. God does not know evil that way. God knows evil because of his omniscience. But in the garden, watch this, even though the fall came, there still stood a tree known as the tree of life, which apparently they could uh, they could still eat if God didn't block the way. And if they ate from its fruit, they would continue to live. Apparently, this is like the fountain of youth. This is what all the nutritionalists are trying to get: some kind of vitamin or fruit that if you eat it, you don't die. Well, it doesn't exist today, but it existed then. But think about this, how horrible that would be. They would have lived forever in their fallen bodies, fallen states. They would have never died. Now, you and I may think that death is rough, but it's not rough. Not for a believer, because a believer, when he dies, he goes to be with the Lord. His soul, his spirit goes to be with Christ. Paul said, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And then later on, you get a new resurrected, glorified body. So it's a wonderful prospect. The pain of death may be difficult. But after that, it's graduation day. But if we never, um, if we live forever in these fallen bodies, that would never happen to us. So God, in His mercy, blocked away way to the garden, and, and you get the impression that they reluctantly left. That God had to shove them out of the garden. I understand that. I wouldn't have wanted to leave either. And uh, what He did, He mercifully evicted them from the garden, and then He stations. Apparently, two angels, it doesn't say two angels, but, it, but an order of angels called cherubim. There's seraphim, there's cherubim, but these are cherubim. And they had flashing swords to keep the couple from the tree of life. And this tree may have existed, we don't know, it may have existed until the flood. And it may very well have been that nobody could, could get into that. I mean, I know nobody could get into that, especially if it exists until the flood. So, the tragic story is that paradise is lost. It's gone. It's gone. And life now for Adam and Eve and for all of us becomes hard work, suffering, and then finally death. But you know what? It's a marvelous picture throughout this, but especially here of God's grace. Marvelous picture. If you know the rest of the Bible, you know in Revelation chapter 22, after the millennial kingdom, after the thousand-year reign of Christ, God restores paradise to earth. It's restored. He brings paradise back to those who come to faith in Christ. And even in the kingdom, there'll be that that touch of that. Now, the first couple was banished from paradise, but there is a way back. There is a way to live eternally the right way, not just in this fallen state, but the right way, and that is through Christ. There is a way back to that wonderful relationship with God, and that is through the death of Jesus Christ. If you've never accepted Christ, I know of no better day to do this because you may not have tomorrow. You know. Genesis 3 is really a rough story. It, it's tough. It's a story about sin, its consequences and, and guilt and fear and excuses and shame and, and pain and struggle and death. But I also want you to know, as I said last week, mince through this and uh, we don't want to miss the point of God's wonderful character revealed here. His justice, He punishes sin. God is a just God. His grace, He forgives sin. His mercy, He evicts them so that they won't live forever and these estates will have the opportunity to go to be with him, be in heaven. So I, I don't want you to go away just thinking this is a negative. This is a story that's quite positive. Let's bow for prayer. As we're quiet before the Lord, I just want to urge you to think about this. In the language of the Apostle Paul, I beseech you, I urge you to consider Jesus Christ. You have one who is a deliverer, and he can deliver you from sin. If you struggle with guilt, shame, maybe you're doing things to even just cover up this guilt and shame. You you don't need to. You can be forgiven. Not simply because you want forgiveness, but because there has been forgiveness provided for you through the death of Christ. You can know him, and I'm going to invite you to come up after the service and speak to one of our counselors up at the front here about accepting Christ. And dear Christian friend, knowing him, don't live in a dream world. Face reality. Life is tough. But I wonder if you have greeted your trials as friends or if you're complaining. You complain about work. You complain about retirement. Maybe even complain about the church. You complain, complain, complain. You know what? You ought to greet your troubles and trials as friends because they're meant not to draw out complaints and griping, but they are meant to build your character. What is your character life? That's what life is about. In the process of God moving us closer to heaven, He is sanctifying us, making us more like His Son Jesus Christ in character. Are you letting Him work in your life? Even though life is hard, do you greet your trials with complaints or with joy? And you can have joy in the midst of even death and decay. I'm going to give you a few moments of silence. ask you to get things right with the Lord. Say whatever you need to say to him. And then I'll close in prayer. And then Bill will lead us in an appropriate closing song. Father, I thank you that life is worth living when we know Christ. I thank you that there's hope. I thank you that there is a tomorrow that is brighter than today. Lord, I pray for those who... Don't know you, that life is a drag, that uh, life is tough. I pray that you would uh, use your word to alert them to a better life that they could have in Christ. I pray you'll bring conviction of sin and true, genuine repentance. And I pray that they will come to you because uh, they know they need you. And Lord, I pray for us as believers, help us to live above the difficulties, not in the sense of escaping them but in the sense of facing them with reality and and knowing that uh, life is hard. But this is not all there is. I pray that you would help us to have a a heavenward look, that we are looking for that blessed hope and the glorious coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we would live with that kind of expectation and not get caught up into the bleakness and the decay and toughness of things all around us. May we be a people who just uh, kind of exhibit hope and confidence in the Lord Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you're so just. I thank you that in the midst of your justice we see what grace and and mercy is all about. Thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We praise you for this, Lord, and dismiss us with your blessing and may we be encouraged. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. If you've become aware of your need for a Savior but you're not sure what to do, I hope you'll call Lakeside at the number I'll have for you in a moment. You've been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Preloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you'd like an audio CD with the message Pastor Steve just concluded, or if you have questions about salvation, call Lakeside at 727-441-1714. For the CD, ask for message 1612, The Curse of God, Part 2. That phone number again is 727-441-1714. Find out more about Lakeside at lakesidechapel.com. Another website that might interest you is versebyverseradio.org. We keep a large library of previous broadcasts on the Message Archive page. And there's a giving page if you'd like to help us keep verse-by-verse on the air. Thanks for your gifts and your prayers. We can't do this without your help. That's versebyverseradio.org. I'm Jerry Peterson. Today's broadcast wraps up Pastor Steve's series on the fall of man, but it doesn't wrap up verse by verse, not by a long shot. There are still plenty of Bible verses left to cover, so I hope you can come back next time as Pastor Steve begins yet another series of lessons. You've been listening to Verse by Verse Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries This program was pre-recorded To learn more, including how to donate To this ministry, visit Versebyverseradio.org That's Versebyverseradio.org
0: Has your life Been
1: turned upside down? Beyond the White Picket Fence By Sherry Rose Shepherd Is a lesson-filled love letter to anyone Trapped in a pit of pain Whether you are going
0: through divorce, betrayal abandonment, or disease, there is a way to come through it.